Hello and welcome to Haaretz Weekend, your glossy audio supplement to all the news from Israel, the Middle East and the Jewish world. I'm Simon Spungin. United supporters have got what they have wanted for a long, long time. All we've wanted is to see a successful Newcastle United. Newcastle United fans celebrate a takeover by a Saudi-backed consortium, but the deal is criticised by human rights groups. A US intelligence report has concluded that Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman personally approved the murder of the exiled journalist Jamal Khashoggi. So in many people are celebrating across the city tonight, but there is real concern too about the message this deal sends today. The fiance of Jamal Khashoggi, the DJ Jenga, said she's horrified the Crown Prince is getting what he wants. On today's show, we'll be discussing the regional, moral, and sporting ramifications of a Saudi Arabian takeover of an English Premier League football club, as well as the racism and xenophobia that's still part of Israeli football, and whether the Israeli national football team will ever qualify for a major tournament again. Before we dial up today's guests, listener, for the sake of due disclosure, there's something I need to share with you. I've been a supporter of Newcastle United, the club recently bought out by the Saudi Sovereign Investment Fund, for my entire life. The fund is headed by Prince Mohammed bin Salman, whom the CIA said ordered the assassination of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, and who is the de facto leader of one of the most oppressive regimes in the world. The takeover ends the 14-year ownership of Newcastle by British retail tycoon Mike Ashley, whose ownership has been marked by chronic underinvestment in the playing squad, his use of Newcastle as a vehicle to promote his business interests, and of a general lack of ambition, despite the club attracting regular home crowds of more than 50,000. The thought of my sleeping giant of a club suddenly coming to life is genuinely thrilling. So while part of me was chanting along with those jubilant supporters we just heard, I'm very torn about the team I support being used as part of an oppressive regime's efforts to whitewash its crimes and violations of human rights. Joining me today, hopefully to reassure me that I can continue to support my team with a relatively clear conscience, I'm delighted to welcome Haaretz's chief football writer and a Leeds United supporter, Uzi Dan. Uh, Hi, Uzi. Are you well? Hi. Very well indeed. Uh, Also joining us from the red side of Manchester, Anshul Pfeffer. How's it going, Anshul? I hope, Simon. Um, so, uh, Uzi, you've written an, an excellent article in Haaretz about the Saudi takeover of, of Newcastle United, which you described as another stage in the blurring of the lines between politics, high finance uh, and football. So uh, given the accusations of sports washing against the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, is this primarily a political purchase? I think it is. Uh, the, Saudi, the Saudis, you know, they want to build a... a a good team in, in uh, St. James's Park, better than uh, Manchester City, Manchester United, even better than Leeds United or Paris Saint-Germain. But the prime uh, goal is to host the World Cup in, two th- in 2030 or 2034 and to 
to let the West talk about about sport, about football, about other things, not about the war in Yemen or, or uh, the way uh, the kingdom is treating women, gays, lesbian, etc. So it's uh, when you talk about football and sport in general and football in particular, you don't talk about other uh, other stuff. And we see Qatar is doing pretty much the same. Of course, they are very uh, successful in doing this, and they uh, they hosted. Quite a lot of uh, major events, and of course they will host the, the World Cup in uh, just over a year from mm. now. And uh, when you say Qatar, yes, people think uh, maybe uh, about oil, maybe about they don't think about human rights. They think about the World Cup that is coming in, in another year, and and uh, they think about Paris Saint Germain and Leo Messi and Neymar, and uh, that's what the Saudis want. Mm. So this is sports washing. It's it, it's nothing more than distracting attention away from. The crimes and misdemeanors of, of well, these regimes. Again, again, it, you guys, which are United Kingdom uh, born and raised, know better than me that that the Saudis are buying everything in London and, and other parts of the UK. They've done it for thirty or forty or fifty years. So football is not different from buying all kind of other companies and and uh, real estate, etc. But. There is a, a plan called the uh, Vision Twenty Thirty of the Saudi Kingdom. I that. Uh, describing the way they should be less dependent on their oil revenues mm. and more about tourism and, and other stuff and, and football is part of the, the other other thing and of course they want to if they have a team everybody likes football so the uh, Saudi Arabia is not uh, different and if they have a team in the Premier League which is the best league in the world of course they want to compete with with, with Manchester City Man United etc and of course they want to to build a good team and to win to office something that Newcastle United didn't do in the last in what 95 years or so Simon but it's it's more important to whitewash their, their crimes than to to win the 2024 or to the Premier League champions mm. the Premier League champions in in two or three or four years I think Mm. Uh, this is also uh, diplomatic, right? Um, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, as he's known, sent a text message to, to British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, uh, warning him that Anglo-Saudi relations would be hurt if the takeover was blocked. Is, is this the face of international diplomacy now? Well, m- maybe yes. I mean, this is this Mohammed bin Salman is, is uh, the crown prince, but he's actually you know the man that runs Saudi Arabia. But this guy. You know, this, the Saudi Arabia kingdom was, was actually is a kingdom that was made, built by the British Empire. You know, Sykes-Picot agreement, everything. We don't uh, have to tell uh, the history. Saudi Arabia and also part of the, the Gulf states are of the United States, of the United Kingdom. But when you have so much oil and when you have so much money, they say in Hebrew, the one that has the, the money is the one that has the opinion. So... They're now, uh, yes, they're now texting a uh, prime minister of the uh, United Kingdom and not the other way around. Mm. Anshul, when we were chatting about this uh, th- this episode beforehand, uh, you said that you don't oppose the uh, the takeover, un- unlike the club that you support. I don't think it's fair at this point to oppose any takeover of a football club because sports, professional sports, is you know has been hopelessly taken over. It's not... Yeah, if we say to, New, you know, to Newcastle United, you, know, you can't go down this road, then it, you know, th- then they will r- quite rightly point at all the other football clubs, but not just football clubs, at sport in general, which has long ago been bought out by 
not just uh, just big uh, you know big money interest, but by entire states and by his whole way of doing business. As as, as Uzi pointed out very correctly in his piece, this is the way that the Premier League and we love the Premier League. It's it, it's it's our favourite. I mean, Uzi obviously watches all kinds of uh, Ghanaian and Nigerian league that, that that we don't know about but he's uh, he, he's the he, he's the big expert both in Africa and football in Israel but for most of us the Premier League is what we love to watch but the Premier League was built as a breakaway league which you know, which would be able to have a much larger share of the television rights and and it's been a huge successful business some would say it's currently Britain's most successful export but if you look at the way that not just professional football has been uh, has been taken over, look at you know, look at the Olympics, look at uh, the World Cup football as well, but also the Olympics. Who hosts the Olympics nowadays? It's countries like the Saudis, or the Saudis have yet to host an Olympics, but it's Russia and it's other countries like that who you know, who want to use this spectacle of a, you know of, of an international sporting event because it's the kind of event where they will have you know, a lot of international attention without any political criticism of things that are happening you know, outside those glitzy stadiums. And you know, I don't see at this point uh, any, any way in which it can, uh, that trend can be reversed because that's, that is the, the way big sports are being run today. And it's worth pointing out that, that the Saudi public investment fund that uh, that has just bought ninety percent of Newcastle also invests, you know, owns a large chunk of companies like Disney, Uber, Facebook, Starbucks, you know, even Pfizer, everybody's favorite vaccine maker. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's it's worth mentioning that the Premier League and actually the FIFA regula- regulation forbids from uh, governments and countries being uh, owner of football teams, unlike billionaire like Roman Abramovich or Atletes, mm. etc. And the thing is, there is there is a difference between a man as wealthy as he gets, uh, like uh, Mr. Abramovich, and, and a country. And it's not it's not uh, a coincidence that, that the regulations forbids a country to be uh, also because of political reasons. And what the Premier League is doing, of course, the Saudis are not the first. Of course, Manchester City is owned by, by actually by, by the Abu Dhabi. Uh, mm-hmm. Sheikh well, Mansour. Yes. And uh, in other countries, we, we know Paris uh, Saint-Germain, of course, is owned by the Qatari uh, government. Uh, but what the Premier League did, and, and I, I don't have any uh, complaints to the Saudis, or to the Newcastle fans that we were joyful throwing Mike Ashley. You, you have to be joyful about that, at least. But the Premier League, which one and 18 months ago, they did not uh, let this uh, deal done because, well, also because of some uh, Premier League broadcasting rights, which was solved. But because everybody knows that the PIF is owned by the Saudi government, Mohammed bin Salman is actually the, the, the CEO of, of the PIF. And now the Premier League lawyers published a statement that they, they check it and the Saudi government is not, is not the owner and the PIF is, is an independent fund, which is, come on, guys. I mean, it's better not to say or write anything than to be so bold, uh, hypocrites and, well, liar. I'm sorry about my words, but it's the Premier League that is uh, disappointing me and FIFA, of course which are doing nothing. And, and this is the problem. It's true what Anshul said. I mean, and the big money is ruling football, is ruling sport, and it will not be changed. But you have to draw some line. 
and and it's happened to be now Newcastle and Saudi it could have been you know other team other government but the line is is have to be drawn somewhere mm. now you, you mentioned that the deal was held up for for 18 months and and from what I understand and it's a very complicated story that is in part to do with regional tensions between the Saudi Arabia and Qatar over broadcasting rights yeah, yes the the B B e I n uh, which is the major uh, TV white all those uh, sports and other thing in the in the Middle East and the Persian Gulf is a Qatari network and they hold the Premier League rights to the Middle East except Israel of course which is a different uh, area because we belong to Europe and of course all kind of politics but mm. And they did not uh, let uh, because of the Qatari Saudi tension they did not let Premier League uh, broadcasting being uh, uh, properly broadcast in the Saudi Kingdom which made the Saudis uh, of course they love English football like anybody else they used to do some all kind of uh, pirate watching all kind of uh, un, un, uh, unlegal uh, uh, mm. ways to, to watch elite uh, United and other uh, other teams and uh, the Premier League of course, As uh, Angela uh, mentioned before, is a hugely successful business because of uh, TV rights, uh, 5 billion pounds, I think, for the last 5.2 billion pounds for the last uh, deal. And that, that was something uh, to, to be concerned about. I mean, you, you, you don't uh, do business with a place that uh, don't even respect the... Uh, the mm. uh, right so this this now was uh, was solved between the the BIN the Premier League and the Saudis you can watch if you go to uh, Mecca Jeddah Riyadh uh, soon you can watch uh, the Premier League uh, with no problems mm. so well if if two regional rivals like Saudi Arabia and 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 um, the UAE can come together even though they're fighting the In, in through proxies in places like Yemen and elsewhere uh, if, if they can come together to resolve a business matter is, isn't that a good thing for diplomacy we've had ping pong diplomacy why not uh, well, Premier League well, diplomacy you know it's 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 all about the money it's follow the money like they like, like they said in, in the Watergate uh, uh, fair uh, Amanda Stavoli the, the lady that uh, will own 10% of, of uh, Newcastle and uh, is was one of the brokers of that deal. She used to help both the Qatari, the, the, the Abu Dhabi people, and now the Saudis. She, she was part of the uh, people that helped uh, Sheikh Mansour buy city uh, uh, 11, 12 years ago. Mm. Money has no, uh, no smell, you know. So, yes, the, these people, they want to whitewash and they want money. I, it's like, you know, if woe will make us more money, it will be woe. If peace makes us more money, it will be peace. It's not about uh, some kind of moral or, or uh, principles. It's, it's about money. Mm. For some of us, though, who aren't financially invested, it, it is uh, about uh, emotions and principles and, and morals. And most of the coverage of this story has been framed as human rights activists expressing concern versus Newcastle supporters celebrating. So uh, what should someone who cares about both be feeling right now? Uh, what should he or she do in terms of supporting the club emotionally or otherwise? Well, we've seen supporters over the years kind of having mixed feelings and reactions to all this. And you know, if, you, if you take Manchester United, for example, you know, when the Premier League came along, football was still sort of what it was when we were kids. The, the owners of the teams were 
mainly local businessmen in camel hair coats with uh, uh, driving flashy Rolls Royces. And when Premier League made this, you know, these assets, these football teams of the Premier League so so valuable, obviously those rather well, low-level uh, owners could, you know, could no longer justify holding on to clubs which were so valuable. So the first... The, the first famous uh, sale of, uh, of of a Premier League club, I think, was when Manchester United was almost sold to Rupert Murdoch, and that was uh, something which the uh, which the, which Manchester United local supporters fought against tooth and nail successfully in that case. And that, but I think that was probably the last time that supporters really managed to uh, uh, to nix a sir because a few years later United was sold to to an anonymous company which didn't have the same kind of rather toxic uh, uh, associations that Rupert Murdoch has, but that turned out to be some kind of uh, uh, holding company owned by the Glazer family in Florida, the United States, which had no interest whatsoever in football mm. and certainly no interest in Manchester United, but they had an interest in making a lot of money and they saw Manchester United as, as a vehicle, basically as a financial vehicle and they've taken a hell of a lot of money out of the team. And only later on, we saw this new uh, idea of, of states or states masquerading as investment funds. What uh, you know, we've seen on the other side of Manchester, with Manchester City, with the, with the Qataris now, and you know, these are more or less the two main you know, main types of of, uh, of financial models we're seeing now for for large lucrative football teams. So it's either a front for a company, and I think it, you can argue that at some point, at least also Chelsea with Abramovich, it was a front or some kind of front for for, for Putin's Russia. Now these uh, these these financial entities which have no connection whatsoever to the town, the neighborhood, the cities where we are, where these teams exist. And, and the, romance, the, you know, the romance of a team like Newcastle is all about it's it's roots it's about the you know, it's about St James Park being full every uh, for every match no matter how badly the team is doing and for the last century it's mainly been badly and you know, this this kind of you know, this this kind of aura around the team now this aura has nothing to do with with Saudi Arabia but they want to buy into that because it because of what it projects and the, the tension between what the fans want mm-hmm. and what you know what, what they're what they're exposed to uh perhaps you know, the, the values that were once the teams is almost unbearable for some fans and some fans leave and we've seen you know, in manchester for example there is a there's a there is a fact there is a supporters own team called the united of manchester which hasn't done very well but in jerusalem for example when supporters didn't like the owners and thought the owners were just rapacious business people they broke with the original pole jerusalem team set up their own team and that team is after a few years, regained control. But it's much easier to do that in a smaller league like the Israeli league. Mm. I don't see in any uh, in any city in Britain, despite Britain's size, uh, a, a group of local people retaking a team from its rapacious owners. Uh, I think that, that I'd say Newcastle has probably lost for another generation to the Saudis. Mm. And so basically we're saying that there's no way to ethically support any football team or any big football team, given how the sport has become a commercial beer moth for, for, for globalization and, and sports watching? I, I, don't, I don't think so, because you, you can see there are examples uh, like the, the Thai owners of Leicester City, the late owner and the son, which mm. I cannot pronounce their names. They, they did wonderful, not just winning uh, the Premier League, uh, which was fantastic five years ago, but they 
uh, did for Leicester, for the community, they're loved and beloved by everyone. They, they invest uh, quite a lot of money, but they're, you know, not like, they're not as big as, as, as uh, Manchester City or Man United. And, and uh, they brought some good players. They, they built a very decent team. And uh, Leicester City became uh, household names throughout the world, winning, winning uh, uh, the English title. But they still, they're connected to the community. They, they you know, they're mo- they modern, but they're still football as, as, uh, as should be. So mm. there are people with money that, that can, you know, with feet on the ground that can do, that can do for the Premier League or, or, or any other, you know, any other legal teams. A, a good thing with, with money, you know, money, money for the sake of money is, is something that it's it's what you choose to do. Is it? It's not bad as as money, but but uh, on every uh, guy like this uh, Thai family, you can uh, you get. Uh, yeah, I, I I was reading one article which which pointed out that among the current owners of Premier League clubs are oil barons, gambling impresarios, tax exiles, another Gulf state, and, and pornographers. Um, so, you know, what, what puts Saudi Arabia beyond the pale in, in this particular case? Um, Anshul, I, I heard one pundit say that if the Saudis had taken over his club or the club he supports, he, he would walk away from it. Um, first of all, I don't believe him. Uh, would you? It's really impossible to put yourself in in the shoes of uh, of a supporter at this time because there's so much emotions of which are bound in you know, in your love for a team, the team that you've spent you know, your entire lifetime basically following, and uh, you're so invested in it. So, what happens when somebody who's not invested actually invests in it? It's it's very difficult. But we saw last year when. A number of teams in England, uh, France, uh, uh, Italy, and Germany started to, to to set up the Super League, which would have basically split them off from the national leagues and make a uh, private club of elite clubs. We did see there uh, a massive backlash in England from the supporters, which seems to have, which seem, which at least in England uh, was the was the reason that that it failed. So. It's not. We can't say that that the local supporters, the people who who actually go to the matches, people who are born within walking distance of uh, of the home grounds, have lost all their control. We, this was one case, one very recent case in which they do seem to have uh, some influence, and we've seen some of the teams, including Manchester United, we've seen the owners beginning to at least pretend to uh, to talk to the supporters and have. Have some kind of a, a of a dialogue there, and we've also seen places where the old owners aren't always to, to be trusted. Take for example, uh, Juventus uh, and their owners, the Agnelli family, who have owned them for, for time time immemorial, mm. uh, who are also part of the Super League. So they uh, you know, they committed uh, that crime. And let's not forget that the the the, the previous owner of uh, of of Newcastle was no paragon of virtue, and uh, well. It had, Probably uh, could be called uh, well legal. There may be some legal issues here, but but his business practices probably were not that better than than the Saudis. Uh, 
uh, and I, I can assume that you, you don't want him to stick to stick around as, as a Newcastle uh, fan, do you, Simon? Uh, I, I don't. Um, but as I, as I've said in my intro, I am I am very torn. And one one of the issues that I'm most particularly torn about is the um, the issue of homosexuality and being illegal in Saudi Arabia. And there have been some interesting reactions um, um, to the takeover. Uh, pride in football, the alliance of LGBT plus supporters uh, in Britain expressed its significant concerns and said that the new ownership of Newcastle United have close links to, and in some cases are, the same people who lead the oppressive regime in Saudi Arabia, as we've mentioned. Uh, but Newcastle United's official LBGTQ uh, supporters group said that it's hopeful that the takeover can have a positive influence and improve conditions for people there. Is that just wishful thinking? I think it's uh, yes, because Gianni Infantino, FIFA president, who is visiting Israel uh, today, said uh, they, they asked him about the World Cup being held in Qatar mm. and uh, the thousands of, of Asian workers that died the work, uh, building the, the stadium. He said, I understand the, the, the criticism, but it helped improve their. Uh, uh, the state, so it's like it's it's an answer which is uh, it's uh, uh, ridiculous. So I think I think it's a bit of it's a bit of the same. Uh, the, the people from Newcastle, I, I don't think uh, the, the 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 human rights of uh, uh, gay people, lesbian people, uh, women, uh, generally speaking, uh, you know, women in the, in the Saudi Arabia now can drive a car which was not possible until a couple of years ago, mm. but only being uh, escorted by a, a man from their family. So it's it's uh, it's unthinkable, really. If you cannot compare this to, to Mike Ashley or to the Glazers or to whatever, uh, you know, all kind of private owners that are not uh, very moral people, maybe. But And I'm not talking, I mean, we are talking also about war crimes being uh, uh, made in, in Yemen on a daily basis. Something that the West, the world, uh, is ignoring, because you know they're Yemen's. So who cares? And it, it's our interest, uh, the West interest, to, to, to support the Saudis. So I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a problem for for the fans. And I don't know what would happen if uh, if the Saudis bought Leeds United. I, I really don't know. So, but I think, generally speaking, you cannot uh, uh, judge. Uh, Newcastle fan which will continue to support the team or a fan that will say I'm not supporting my, my team after 30, 40, 50 years, whatever. But generally speaking, the the, the Premier League, FIFA, UEFA, the, the, the people that are the regulators that have to, to deal with it, they don't they're not doing the, the jobs. This is the problem. The Premier League is is the is the institution that Disappoints me. Not the Saudis, not 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 this guy or, or that uh, a billionaire or, uh, or or that government. And because really the Premier League, as Andrew said, we all love the Premier League. It's the best team in the world. It's the richest team in the world. You can argue say that after after Messi left Spain and Ronaldo left Italy, it has also has the best uh, uh, players in the world. But uh, the the way they uh, they. Uh, you know, put put the put the head in in the sand and, and don't don't care about. You can see you can see before games. You know, Black Lives Matter and, and no to racism mm -hmm. everything. But <laughs> when it's coming to that's all that's only you know talking. 
when it, it comes to acts, it, they, they, they don't do nothing. Mm. And I think we should point out that since we are, you know, we're recording this podcast from our Tel Aviv office and we're, we're Israel-based, you know, we have, as, a sport, as football lovers, we have these dilemmas. I think going to any football game in Israel, you mentioned mm. homophobia, Simon, that and racism are very, very present in many, many Israeli football matches. Um, as someone who lives in Jerusalem, many of my friends who were supporters of Beitar Jerusalem have long ago stopped going to matches because of the blatant racism there. And it's not just Beitar. We see it, we see it on, on every football ground in Israel, both homophobic and racist chants. It's, it's, really, it's a really big dilemma. Do you go to, to an Israeli football match? It, it, I mean, uh, uh, you're, con- you're basically condoning these things by going to the matches, but this is the sport we love. Are we not going to see what passes for football it's hmm. uh you know it's a big dilemma and, and i'm mm. sure it's, no, it's something that, that uzi deals with on a weekly basis mm, well, presumably it's going to be a dilemma for, for for football fans across the world next winter when the world cup is is as we've mentioned held in qatar uh, where homosexuality is also illegal and and uzi where as you said six thousand five hundred migrant workers have died building the infrastructure for the tournament. Um, so you know, a, a, a global to, dilemma. I used to, uh, many years ago, when, when the World Cup uh, was given to Russia and to Qatar, uh, me and Ansel, we had uh, a bet. He said, yeah. that, he said that the World Cup will not be held in Russia in 2018, and uh, <laughs> of course not in Qatar. And I told him, Russia, yes, Qatar, no. And I, I earned my uh, my bet, but about Russia. But I I really didn't believe, and and it was uh, uh, the 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 bids uh, the Austria uh, white were given in 2010. That's 11 years ago. I really didn't believe that the World Cup will be held in Qatar, and, and it will. Now, about a year ago, a group of people in the Norway FA. They tried to start a group, uh, a movement to, to boycott the World Cup in Qatar by, by Europe, by European teams, by European players. And, you know, if Europe did not participate, it, there would be no World Cup. Mm. And the response was very, very disappointing by almost all federations, all the uh, players, all the uh, teams, all national teams uh, outside of Norway. Everybody looks the other way. They, everybody wants to play in the World Cup. And they don't really care about the Pakistani or Bangladesh people. That they, that, I mean, they say they care, but they don't really care when, when you have to choose between the World Cup and, and staying at home because the people that host the World Cup actually caused the, the death of, of thousands of people. Mm. So, so I'm, I, I'm truly pessimistic about, the, you know, I, I think people will watch, people will go, people will, of course, play and, and being held in, in, in the winter, it will probably be Uzi you, will, Uzi you will as well you'll assume you'll get a visa you'll report from from that world cup won't you i don't know i don't know i first thing i i'm not sure the the qatari people the, the qatari bid part of the bid is is they they have to uh, accept every team israel is not mentioned by its name but they have to accept every team its players its fans its journalists etc uh, that qualify to the world cup so if israel would have qualified, the Qatari would have to get to give visit to, to, to the team, of course, but also to fans, uh, journalists, etc. Because Israel will not qualify. I'm surprise, not sure. Surprise, surprise. 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure that uh, that Israeli fans and Israeli journalists will be able to go. But if you ask me, let's say you can go, uh, would you go and cover the World Cup? Honestly, I don't know. I I I, I don't know. I I want to. You know, it's a World Cup. It's it's the biggest event. I've been to the last three World Cup for altogether. I don't know. It's, I, it's, it's a tough dilemma, but it, it, it seems that Israel maybe have inadvertently boycotted the tournament and saved the Qataris <laughs> a bit of a headache on that front. Um, guys, I'm, I'm afraid that's all we have time for uh, this week. Uzi, Anshul, thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you. you. That's our show, listener. If you haven't already done so, please listen to Amir Tibon's excellent interview with former Mossad chief Ephraim Halevi on the latest edition of Haaretz Weekly. I'll be back again next week with another episode of Haaretz Weekend. Until then, Hawe the lads and Shabbat Shalom from Tel Aviv.